All the Rage with John Bowd on www.tracksfm.org. Uh, welcome to John Bowd's All the Rage here on www.tracksfm.org. Um, yeah, it's been a really busy week um, all round. Uh, miserable weather. So I was up in London yesterday and uh, it just seemed to rain in it. Postman got a thing about rain. We got different types of rain. And yesterday was that rain that kind of pushed in your face and didn't stop. Mm. Um, sometimes we get hard rain, which is straight down and lasts about 10 minutes. But that annoying rain, that is constant. Postman know what I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, hey, we're here to talk about a number of things today. Um, uh, particularly about um, uh, attitudes um, and, of course, nostalgia, which is one of our favourite subjects. <laughs> um, I like nostalgia, actually, but obviously when when I would do watch it on the TV, my kids actually wonder what I'm actually laughing at. <laughs> I think they, well, was it? I think they'd rather, I think the new comedy now is, is it South Park? That's it. My kids just laugh. Endlessly. I, I can't that show is that. 20 years old, though, to be fair. There you go. Um, so that's still nostalgia laughing. itself. But then, I don't know, how how often can you show friends all day? Oh, never. <laughs> it's awful. Please stop showing that awful program. <laughs> I, I hate that program so much. Sure, I'll pass it over to you. <laughs> awful, sad, pitiful, seedy people and their, their pathetic rich flats. No, don't thank Oh, just crap. Yuppie scum. Yeah, so this week we've we've got a few subjects on the boiler which are not exactly new. Well, they're not no, they're not new at all. In fact, if anything, we don't seem to be able to get away from them. And I don't really have a tremendous amount of new stuff to say about it, but there's just a couple of things that have sort of stood out that I thought made them worthy. And uh, and also, as I said in previous weeks, as much as I love uh, being a, a correspondent for all great things trade union, uh, this show is becoming kind of boring because it was just going on and on about union stuff all the time. So we need to, we always prided ourselves on diversity on this program, um, no matter what the actual uh, social trend of the time is. So, you know, we need to, we need to get a little bit more interesting. Let's get back to our, um, you know, get back to our roots of, of me annoying the shit out of people by uh, slaughtering the, the sacred cows uh, but doing it for a meaningful reason not just for the sake of being smummy uh, i'll come to that in a minute however yes for our first subject this week we're going to revisit something that refuses to go away but which we never really say anything meaningful about freedom of speech but specifically the right to offend without consequence uh, the first part i don't so much have a problem with the second part i do the never-ending and ultimately meaningless discussion and fake debate over the right to say what you want. Most often engaged in by right-wingers and washed-up celebrities who travel from TV studio to radio studio to podcast bedroom, talking about how they are being silenced for their un-PC, unwoke views of the world. It just never ends. It is almost like a literal treadmill. And, uh, and at its heart, is a, a total and complete lie of self-made victimhood. I would state clearly here that I'm actually not interested in talking about free speech at all. Uh, it's boring, it's one-dimensional, and I've been talking about it since I was a teenager because it was the first political thing I ever got into. 
I have zero interest in going over the same ground with the same people making a career out of being antagonistic, bigoted, and intentionally childish. Plus, this supposed debate has so many straw men, it looks like a scarecrow convention. You could be offensive in this country anytime you want to. You have the freedom to walk down the street with your middle fingers raised to everyone that you pass. But what we never ask is what is the point of all of this? We never talk about the point of offence how it may be related to wider social or even political movements of any description, how it can be entwined in the need to change things. Everyone has a right to be offensive, but social structures, media, traditions, attitudes, etc., dictate who and what you can be offensive about or who you can be offensive to. And we know from bitter experience that this can go as far as inspiring hate crime and social intolerance that is suffered by others, not the person or the institution pushing the hate in the first place. We really need to discuss where freedom of expression ends and bullying and hate speech begins. Hate speech is a little easier because the law does give us some kind of ground uh, in which to base it on, but it's also very easy to dance around. There's been various examples over the years from so-called British journalism, um, you know, the rags uh, where they've they've managed to just about not get done for for intolerance and hate speech but that's only because as i say they've they've done a very little clever dance around certain bits of language uh, that's not really acceptable to me but again putting aside the hate speech one i think the bullying is a big one you know, you know at what point you know we, if we all seem to think generally in society that bullying is a bad thing uh, we need to actually show that rather than fob off bullying by people's right to free expression, et cetera, et cetera. So if you remember, for instance, how during the start and the height of the Iraq and the Afghanistan wars, British society would not allow any dissent from the idea of the uniformed murderers of the British and US Army, that they were rampaging all over the place, killing people to be seen as anything other than heroes. Their torture and killing was all down to following orders, which is... Uh, it was somehow impossible to find anyone in the chain of command who actually gave those orders in the first place. It was always never that person's fault and always somebody above them. Even when we saw people taking pride, taking photographs even of the terrible activities that they were carrying out. You were simply not allowed to say that these things were bad people doing terrible things like illegally invading and occupying a country and killing masses of their civilians. Equally, you could not discuss how many poor people end up in the armed forces because this horrible country closes off alternative opportunities to them, especially when they are from uh, the neglected north of the country. You would be accused of some kind of working class uh, snobbery or intolerance, which, of course, is uh, uh, ridiculous. And in fact, they should be uh, left to, uh, you know, kill at will, as it were. We, uh, we even had an army general on the BBC television saying that uh, were Jeremy Corbyn ever elected to become prime minister, then they may take action as he was considered by the establishment to be a threat. Uh, I mean, I, I can't believe that happened and we allowed it to happen. Nobody said a thing about it. If you ever wanted uh, a huge signpost, a huge red flag, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, saying that this country is not actually free, then you had it right there on, on national BBC television while uh, my little Andrew Marr sat there and said nothing about it. Then there is the vile national activity known as sentimentality that governs so much of what we are allowed to express. See soldiers again, for one example. 
but uh and just the whole fantasies surrounding that but i can remember um the relatives of murdered loved ones such as helen newlove whose husband was murdered suddenly being all over the place talking about wanting to bring back the death penalty for 17 year olds and then becoming some sort of czar on victimhood and taking up a place in the house of lords was she ever qualified to do anything, ever qualified to do any of these things? Or were we supposed to just accept someone making their career and getting into positions of power because her husband was killed and no one wants to criticise her for fear of, of uh, seeming unkind or being criticised himself? As I said, sentimental crap. Our media just do not want to criticise her out of what seems like fear to me. And this has been one of many, many examples. I don't even get me started on Nick Cave. Now, I could go through all of these things, the self-made victims, the career makers, my hatred for the armed forces, et cetera, et cetera. And no doubt I would offend plenty of people in the process. But these are my sincerely held views. They are part of what I believe are seriously needed to change society. There are plenty of people, organisations and political or social groups that I hate. I have no problem offending or upsetting them. But still, I would not go out of my way to do so, mainly because I think it is pointless and immature. Why is it so difficult to actually take part in meaningful action that would directly benefit people's real lives? Again, I see the cheap offence industry as being nothing more really than a reactionary distraction from the need for systematic change. Another straw debate we allow is the idea that we should all listen to people we disagree with. I do not really do this, mainly because I've heard all that those folks have to say throughout my 20s and my 30s and nothing has changed. Not the subject the views, or the people saying them. You check back in with the same people every so often. But, you know, they are not saying anything they weren't saying when I was 25. And I'm an older man now, and I've wasted enough of my life worrying about what the opposition says. Not to mention the fact that if you look at the more serious opposition, you know, uh, such as those who, as I say, have a, a belief in the system the way it is now versus my belief that it must change, uh, they are completely out of ideas, which is one of the other reasons why I believe that we need to just, you know, ignore them and override them. It's more than about time when everyone's starving, everyone's desperate, you know, everyone is being caused ridiculous levels of, of anxiety, stress and pain. If any right winger really believed in any of this, uh, they would spend all of their time listening to Rev Left Radio or similar programs, only listening to leftists, communists, anarchists, and people who believe in direct intervention in the economy. I've listened for years to free marketeers when I felt masochistic. And uh, today, especially, as I was saying a minute ago, they have completely run out of anything to say. They are basically the arbiters of the destruction we're living through now, and they have no idea how to change that. Their view of the world has lost all ability to reinvent itself. So there is another reason to not listen to them, basically. Not to prevent them from speaking, but because their argument is tired and broken and they need a new one. Uh, I, I don't really get the argument for, you know, kind of making myself miserable uh, and how that, that benefits the world, especially when I don't necessarily have a way of reaching out to them and responding. And even if we did, even if the two of us, three of us, five, however many people it is, went at each other on a programme like this. Well, so what? What does it achieve? Does anyone care? Not even sure I do, and it's my show. You know? I even think there are things here that I do not understand, and I hope to learn more about them. But that will never happen if we do not engage in the real issues that I'm talking about here, and instead we just play this stupid back-and-forth game of who can be offensive. So that is why we'll continue to ask the question, what is the point of offence? Even though I never get an answer, I only get distraction. But I think it's a very important question. I think it's the kind of thing that a show like this is designed for. Uh, Dave, what do, what do you think on this? 
Yeah, sorry, I'm changing headphones. Um, do you know, I think people are offended uh, by whatever. Um, and I genuinely believe this, John. And I'm mm. not a psychologist. But I think we're offended by things uh, that uh, at some point in our early lives um, affected us, whether that be bullying, colour, um, you know, um, whatever. Um, and I think things that happen early on in our life affect us, you know, and we could all name examples and you say, what annoys you? What would offend you? And people would say certain things that people say, generalisms, you know, um, even racism, you know. Um, a lot of racists, um, especially sadistic racists, um, were abused as children, um, which is common, uh, especially in a lot of um, early 80s, mid-80s mixed marriages in inner cities mm. um, where they took offence of their mother, for example, remarrying again or having a new boyfriend. And that person, and, you know, statistics got higher in regards to mixed marriages. Um, and we saw an influx of... Um, um, of that, certainly in the nineties onwards, it's it, you know, where we in the seventies, you you look twice, you know, you'd see a a white woman with a black man, and everyone we used to look at them in the seventies. Now we wouldn't think twice, you know. Um, you only have to look at the England football team, for example, as a lot of results of mixed and uh, mixed marriages. But I think in the seventies and eighties, for example, you uh, you see a lot of. Um, uh, no reason racists, no reason racists, uh, including uh, educated politicians, by the way, um, uh, are affected in their early lives by that, for example. And um, that's my belief. I think it affects, I don't think we're born with disliking something or offended offended by something. And you know what, John, having read the, the uh, write-up uh, to your show, uh, this evening, I believe some people do like the attention. Oh, completely, no, no doubt. I yeah. think they genuinely like to stand up in a group because everything. When when you do corporate get-togethers and they break you into subgroups of four and five, you always get one person they want to be the loudest, and they'll often seek attention by saying, "I, I, I want, I'm offended by that," you know. Uh, maybe I'm a bit nostalgic in the 70s, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering the way you just described it, I can't see how you can possibly be nostalgic for it. Yeah, you know, I mean, in the 70s, yeah. we were just told to just get on with it, you know, and, sh you know, be spoken to and not say... I, I, look, I, I don't necessarily agree with that either, that edict, shall I say, but I, I'm, I'm just saying I think some people... I've, some stuff have, has happened in their life and it, and it stays with them. And I think, I'm being a psychologist, I think kids of big families, uh, especially younger ones of big families who, or maybe the older ones, but, you know, uh, there is a lack of attention. There is a lack of attention by the by a parent because they're working and it's large families and they seek attention. 
But then saying that, I knew a lot of kids who were at school who were scolded and beaten. And it turns out that they've got a clinical... There's a, there was a clinical illness about them which we didn't recognise. Dyslexia was one in the 70s. Yeah. You were put into a thick class, because we were all told you were thick. Even teachers told you were thick. And it turns out that words to some people just looks like gobbledygook. And it's true. Mm. Um, so, I don't know, but I wouldn't shout about it, John, you know. No, I mean, I, mean, no, I, I think I wouldn't want right. to be a victim all the time. No, but, yeah, but I mean, the, the whole attention economy, which is what a lot of this is about, and it's really of interest to me that people show up in this, if they're well-known, if they're you know, famous or whatever, around about the time that their career is taking a downturn. So if you're Morrissey, and you haven't made a listenable album since Ringleader of the Tormentors, then, you know, what else are you going to do except rank up all of that kind of slightly nasty intolerance that you had hanging in the background for much of your career and uh, and turning it up and and exactly doing that in, entirely to get attention? I think you're completely right. Uh, and, you know, double that if you're Lawrence Fox, you know, the, the fail son of an acting dynasty who's never going to get better than being the uh, the wingman to the bloke that used to be Inspector Morse's partner. Uh, and, and it's like, yeah, I'm never going to go anywhere. And my missus has left me and she's a substantially better actor than I am. Um, did a, did a terrific uh, version of, um, of Yorma uh, in, in uh, the young Vic or the years ago. And um, yeah, you know, what, what else are you going to do? Oh, I know I'll become this arbiter of great traditional Britishness, which, which really means intolerant whiteness. Uh, that's the only traditions that they're interested in. And, uh, and they basically, you know, the, the thing about offence is, is because uh, we joke about this, but you know, because it always comes out eventually, whether it's on one episode of Question Time or, or in anything else that they do, is this at the heart of so much what these people want to do is that these are white people who want to say the N-word. This, this is really, I mean, we joke about it, but honestly, that is where they are. They so deeply, deeply want to go back to old school of, you know, uh, talking to people like they are less than you than they are. You know, they are so small and petty, irrelevant and worthless. They can't even get their precious system of capitalism to transform the awful situations that we're all facing now but they want to be able to look down on somebody else with absolutely zero effort. And, uh, and it really, you know, uh, laziness, self victimization, desperate attempts at, uh, at, at becoming or remaining relevant and an intolerance towards anyone ever questioning them. are absolutely fundamental. You know, you can find those points in any individual you want to pick who goes on this, the attention economy, you know, uh, treadmill, the, the wagon, whatever, whatever way you want to say it, you know, they, they all have one or more of those traits in everything that they do. So and again, I just come back, like, what is the point? What, what is the point of all this? Where are you trying to go with this? And when the point of the offense is that, you know, it's, it becomes dangerous for um, trans people to walk down the street. Um, it becomes dangerous to walk into a public toilet uh, when you need to go. You know, when, when it becomes, again, if you go back to the idea, like you say, of, of mixed race couples walking down the street and being uh, attacked, um, tell me something. Where, where is the, the kind of the great liberation of being able to be offensive then? I'd like to know. Go on. Well, uh, uh, just on that, um, 
and, and taking the liberal point of view, so say in America, which is more prevalent in America, I'm about to say, where um, groups like Me First and Black Lives Matter, where we have the predominantly right-wing element of America, which is your, your south, your deep south, elements of Georgia, Atlanta, which says, or they're told, or they believe, and they still believe this vehemently, that being affirmative action means that being black will mean that they'll get the job first over a white person. Now, obviously, that's a shock, horror statement to make. And, of course, would say, well, God, that's terrible if that's the case. Even ethnic minorities would say, well, no, I don't agree with that. But there is a belief that that is actually happening in America, uh, especially teachers' jobs and things like that. And there is a silent minority, it could be majority, of even liberals in America that stay silent but believe that that's happening, that they're going to get overlooked due to affirmative action. Or do you think affirmative action is... I should be treated differently because I'm black. I don't know, John. It's 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 it, you know it is one to look at. What's your thoughts on that, John? I think my thoughts on it is that affirmative action, whether it's of any use today, is is um, I, I don't really know enough about it, but I'm I'm happy to discuss it. I'm broadly in favour of it in uh, in a way, and that's because. I see what it was designed for in the first place, which was to address the inequality in people uh, getting employed. Now, firstly, and it's well worth remembering in the country we're sitting in now and America and plenty of others in between, it used to be perfectly acceptable for companies, perfectly legal, I think I would be, I would be accurate in saying this. I think I am. For uh, a company or employer to say, I don't wish to employ this person because of their colour. So, and, or because of their sexuality or, you know, because of anything else, because of their religious identity. So we had to address that and, and it needed addressing deeply. And what you have in America, as we all know, and there is, you know, wealth of evidence that you don't necessarily need me to point you to, but I probably can, uh, of a country that is systematically designed as a white supremacist state. It's a very big state. It's a very powerful state. It's very powerful all over the world. It's not as powerful as it used to be, but it still has uh, it still has that ability and that power. So, what America does matters, whether you like them or not, whether you live there or not. So, what you had is is a a, a country with a system, you know, a deeply racist system. Maybe not quite as overt as the as the one in South Africa used to be, but then again. America's system used to be as overt as one in South Africa used to be, and the one in Israel is now. So it's a very, you know, very um, pertinent point, I think, to, to kind of say, you know, about affirmative action. Now, you know, what does it mean on the ground? Is it the best? Is it the best policy? I don't know. I'm generally inclined towards policies that are more class based than anything else. Um, I think they are the most important aspects. And it's become very difficult for over the years to even see anyone in America admitting to a, the existence of a working class. They, they call them a middle class there, but actually you're getting more and more of people actually recognising where they, they really are and where those things need to, to be. Um, so 
I, you know, as, as I say, that that's slightly uh, clipped view on on that because I, as I say, I don't know where it is. It's not something I've checked in with for a while, so I don't know where affirmative action is at right now. But it's always been a right wing bogeyman, and the idea that you would, you know. If someone else got the job I wanted to go for, I'm trying to work out why I'm supposed to be more annoyed about it if they're black. I never could really understand that one. Um, meanwhile, you know, we, what again, as I said, I think this is, this is a distraction from the things that really bother us. As we've seen this week, you know, the, the distraction of, of, um, of one particular prince uh, going on about his horrible family. Um, I, I don't actually think most of what he said is inaccurate or wrong. I think it's fairly it's fairly true, but it, it it kind of it is basically a distraction from the issues we we really need to address. And the biggest distraction in all of this is, of course, the and I'm not the first person to speak on this, and I'm not the smartest person to speak on this. Uh, see Matt Chrisman on that one, but I would like to just put my own my own point about this in into the show. Um, embracing the politics of i don't know what you would call this but it but it is kind of a, a politics of of uh, vindictiveness which is that accepting that nothing can change accepting that we can't do anything even though as you say if you listen to a lot of things including this show on a regular basis you see you would have heard almost nothing but stories of of collective action usually through trade unions changing things a great deal for many many working groups around the country and around the world but, you know, the idea of you're all, you're all isolated, you're all alone, um, there's nothing you can do in your life. All you can do is try and find one group or another of people that you hate and make them suffer politically, make them suffer in their own lives more than you do. And that's where right-wing politics is right now. Whether it's, you know, the old-fashioned, uh, I say it's quite old-fashioned now, hopefully it's not going to come back, hatred of, of Muslims, whether it's, uh, you know, Jews run everything, or, or whether it's claiming that uh, drag queens doing story hours in, in libraries are grooming kids. It's all hate politics, and it's all designed for, here's this group of people over there, make them more miserable than you are. Take all of your political energy, point it towards making other people worse off than you. Do not point it upwards towards those of us that are right royally fucking you and have done for the longest time and are now got to the point where we're destroying your health care, where we're destroying the ability to work, the actual incentive to work because you can't even make enough money to live, who are not taking hold of the situation when you have uh, crises of inflation, crises of of uh, paying for energy costs, etc. No, no, no. Just have a go at the drag queen who's reading a story to your kids. And by the way, you take your kids to Panto every Christmas. There's nothing but drag queens there, all right? Or a variation of it. It's so you know. So I mean, a it's, it's a terrible thing to try and do. Now, but B, you you can't even get yourself out of the hypocrisy of that situation. So do me a favour. Um, yeah, I, I hopefully I answered some level of your question. Yeah, I mean, look, I I always say. Just, just to de- de- deviate slightly, to de- de- deviate slightly, that those narrow-minded people, not necessarily narrow-minded people, but those who compartmentalise themselves into a corner, where we say, I don't know, uh, no immigrants, um, neoliberalism, let's just put everything on the global market and hopefully, mm. fingers crossed, it will gamble it all off and the market's do well and if it doesn't do well, it will go down the sink, as you see now. Or um, no foreigners in this country whatsoever. <laughs> and I always say, 
Because that's what it is, isn't it? Those three things, for example, which is the big thing. And I always say, what's your end game? What yeah. do you? What's the end going to look like in your regards to your view? And do you think it will stop there? So if you say, well, I don't want any brown people in the UK, and then you, you achieve that, and you're going to keep it that way, or, you know, you're a neoliberalist and there's nothing left to sell off, there's nothing left to gamble on the markets, and it's all failed anyway, what's your end game? Or, <coughs> say for example, I don't want any gays living in my town, what's your end game? And by I say that, as a parent, for example, you, you achieve all that in your town, there's no LBGBT community in your town, and lo and behold, your nephew's son comes out. Yeah. Um, Neoliberalists, well actually this isn't working, we need to create something of our own and fund it ourselves. Would that be a possibility? And then, obviously, if you're anti-brown or anything, anti, yeah, I know who you are. Um, and it turns out that you, you, you know, you've got all these buses sitting in the car park, and now your Anglo-Saxon people want to do that job. Is there an end game? Have you left the back door open? For, well, actually, no. You know, we think that. You know, um, I'd just like to know what their end game. And my belief is. Not necessarily neoliberalism, because I think it's just in the centre, and I think you just, I don't think you believe in anything, personally. But certainly those who are anti-culture, anti-colour, anti-LGBT, I personally think that you were bullied in an, in your early life. Mm. Or, or you were abused sexually or mentally by a parent or a relative. That's my belief. And I'm not a psychologist, because I know you weren't born like that. So why are you yeah. like that? Your hate. But, yeah, and also... And I you're not I a victim just, either. No, I think it's just the frustration of people wanting to... You know, they, they will always lash out at somebody lower down the scale than them rather than punching upwards. Because punching upwards is hard. Um, I mean, you and I are doing, among others, are doing exactly that right now. Um, and it's hard work. And, and it causes a lot of pain and anxiety. But losing will cause us even more. So, you know, that's why we're doing it. And I, and I think that it's uh, it's just a lot of people, they just, you know, to, they just don't have the guts, frankly. There are too many people out there are cowards, you know, if I'm going to be br brutal and blunt about it. And if you look, you know, this hatred is is bad enough, a hatred that allows you to, to um, dehumanise others. But just coming back to what you said at the top or near the top of the hour about you know, the kind of hatred that was put towards uh, mixed-race relationships. Thomas Murr, who murdered Joe Cox, the MP, screaming, put Britain first while he stabbed her, um, that guy had exactly that scenario. His mother remarried black men, and that sent him into a spiral of, of white supremacist, uh, you know, just, uh, don't know what else to call it, but just psychopathic traits and behaviour. Uh, because he just can get over the fact that his mum had married a black fella. And that's an extreme end of it, but it's an ex you know, it's, it's extreme I, I enough. I think it's extremely common. And when you get yeah. Mr. Robinson or whatever his name is, 
the Irish lad, I call him yeah. the Irish lad, um, coming out and saying what he did, you know, and giving out statistics on Muslims, you know, and you can see it, it's so passionate in his face, you know. I'm thinking, mate, who beat you up? Who gave you a slap? <laughs> yeah. Because I saw him confronted in Luton, and I've got a lot of friends in Luton, I'm not going to say anything more than that, Johnny. Yeah. Um, and they waited for him because he came out and he thought we could just walk up and down and start giving out these statistics in Luton, in a part of Luton. I wouldn't even go down. <laughs> and he, no, no. he, apps, they came out, the brothers. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, John, you, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And um, he absolutely cacked himself and he literally ran away. And I thought, there it is. Yeah, absolutely. There it is. Is that is the running. one? There's a great bit of footage of him looting when he's walking backwards and he trips over traffic bollard. Well, yeah. those brothers I know. Yeah. Good personally. For them. And I wouldn't go down there. I wouldn't go down there. But I'm not saying it's violent, John. I'm just saying no. that they just defend themselves and they defend yeah. families there. Yeah, because there was a lot of hate going on there. Yeah, they have the right to defend themselves. And also, just to underline, if any international listeners are tuning in tonight, or actually, if that matter, any British listeners, just to underline, you know, perfectly well, we're not we're not talking about the idea of no-go areas. That's complete bullshit. No, no we're talking that. about, they, they just look out for, because there was a lot of attacks and acid attacks yeah. there. Well, good, and good I them. myself went down there to help out as well. Because uh, I'm, not, I'm not tolerating that. And all I saw when the attacks were common, and I don't mean this... this I saw a lot of white guys who were doing it, but they, they, they got to be in a minimum of 10. Um, but when we got one of them on their own, well, our little child, little child, John. Yeah. And they then they started saying to me that we're the victims. <laughs> and I said, you haven't got a clue what it's like to be a victim. Get out of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think I like that. I can see why we've come back to that subject. Uh, and I think it's very important to do so. I don't like to be repetitive, but sometimes we don't have a choice. And, uh, and uh, you know, thanks for uh, engaging that tonight. There's been some very, very good points. And hopefully the listeners have got something out of that. Uh, I should probably move on because I've got, I've got two more subjects yeah. I want to bring up this week. Well, I'm, I'm waiting for the nostalgia thing because I, need I know you're waiting for that. There's one, there's one more bit. <laughs> yeah, go on, go on. <laughs> Um, yeah, because I know that I don't like to eat into your show. And, and if I leave it till, yeah, when it comes, I was going to say, when it comes to nostalgia, you'll just be playing fucking Wigfield as a bed over everything I'm saying. I know what you're going to do. I know what you're going to do to me. I'm used to this one. <laughs> anyway, um, so we've talked about, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about offense. Let's talk about shame. Shame uh, is something else that exercises people's minds quite a lot as far as it is a social phenomenon, but I don't really believe it works. So we hear a lot about the power of shaming people. Um, it is something that is invoked by the self-made victims, the rich, the powerful, media creatures, and the political representatives of a dead and useless politics. We even sometimes hear people suggest that public shaming is a tool of worthy use and we have all voiced our disgust at one person or other for their behaviour which is perfectly normal it's, it's okay to be disgusted by the things people do sometimes whoever they are but I, I maintain that really shame does does not work and, and this includes within the uh, and this is a bigger subject than we've got time for tonight but within the realms of exactly what actually cancel culture is 
Shame achieves nothing and never has any meaningful effect on power. And as you should know, if you've listened to this show for the last four or five years, how long we've been going now, we are all about what power is, where you find it, and how you take it on. So uh, there's various examples, and I've narrowed it down to just a few that seem relevant for today. Uh, The Labour Party. Now, we'll be doing a whole show on this vile gaggle at some point, but let's just sum up a few issues here. They have allowed or even participated in the mental torture of vulnerable people who happen to be in their party and hold left-wing views. They signposted their own members for attack, uh, see the case of Apsana Begram. They uh, threw Jewish people under the bus to use them as political gain over their leadership of their own party, making up wild accusations of anti-Semitism, and then not actually addressing any real examples, which have always been higher in that party before and probably since, but I don't have the data on that, but certainly before uh, Jeremy Corbyn was ever the leader. Keir Starmer lied with 10 pledges in his leadership campaign. That's not the only lie he's done. In the middle of the NHS crisis, we are seeing a humanitarian crisis. In fact, Starmer and Wes Streeting come out in favour of more privatisation and attacking GPs. So far, the Labour Party leadership has failed to meaningfully come out in support of any of the trade unions, despite the party being built by them in the first place. Their hatred of the working class was more severe under Blair, but Starmer has carried it on, aside from his uh, natural failure to to carry anything. Uh, But he's certainly tried to carry this on. So that's one example. The British government. Oof. Oh, where do we begin? Blatant union busting, rather than attempting to solve any of the problems people are actually facing in this country or listening to the workforce who are the heart and soul of anywhere where they go. Not least all of the people who two years ago were being clapped on the doorstep every Thursday and are now being told they're greedy bastards who should have more laws enacted against them to uh, prevent them from being able to go on strike. Still insisting on the political ideology of 40 years ago that has no political worth at all and is actively making people's lives substantially worse. This country has plenty of money, yet we allow our health service to be degraded by both parties to the point that it cannot operate. We allow homeless people to freeze to death in the streets and the numbers of homeless people rise as landlords make millions from the housing crisis. 270,000 people in one recent report are reported to be in this position. One in three children go hungry. Workers are using food banks, including nurses, on their actual work sites. Any country of any worth would be ashamed of this. But Britain still tries to live through nostalgia and demand that you call it a great country for all of the horrible things we used to do to the rest of the world many years ago, and to some degree still do. Our power holders openly claim there is something wrong with you for not supporting the ethno-fascist apartheid state of Israel, not the other way around. See also Keir Starmer on this one. Uh, I see and hear calls for shame upon the perpetrators, but this is pointless because there is no real mechanism for holding them to account. You can go online, you can look on your social medias and get very, very wound up and angry about the things that they do and say this is absolutely shameful, disgusting and intolerable from, you know, as I say, Michael Gove to Keir Starmer, whatever it is this week. But actually, it doesn't amount to anything because it doesn't affect them in a material way. They still have careers. Part of the result is, again, to make us all feel disempowered. I could scream from the rooftops and tweet all day about how disgraceful I think Keir Starmer is. I will not move anything along. In the same way that this loser cannot 
land a meaningful blow upon the Conservatives, not during the worst COVID-19 pandemic situations when we were being run by literal clowns and deeply corrupt ones too, not even against the absent Prime Minister that we have now. For a party of reheated Blairites obsessed with skill and performance, he can't even meet this basic metric. But nevertheless, he's still here. The BBC, lastly, uh, despite being exposed in pushing conservative government propaganda in the run-up to the 2019 general elections and plenty of time before that, uh, making a programme on anti-Semitism and the Labour Party that has been proven to be complete lies and continually platforming extremists and political wash-ups, such as some we were talking about earlier on. Just remember that little little Tommy, the milkshake-catching pretend Irish boy, was has been on the BBC substantially more times than I have and more times than I can remember. The BBC has never made a single apology and they simply carry on with their publicly funded establishment cronyism. For God's sake, they still employ Nicholas Witchell. I mean, that man just looks like someone needs to put him down. God, I'm not talking about hurting. I'm not talking about physically hurting the man. I just mean he looks so sad and crestfallen, you know, which is what you get for spending your entire life sucking up to rich people who hate your guts. Uh, they should actually just be def- defunded for their anti-Semitism, the Labour Party programme alone, actually. So don't come to me when you want to cry about, oh, the, the BBC's got this and the other. I don't give a shit, mate. Uh, let's not pretend that we will be taken in by any of the exact same shit. Next time, of course, it's exactly what will happen. Next time there's a general election that comes on, they'll put out all these things about the Tories being competent with the economy and, uh, you know, workers asking for too much and uh, all, all labour and, and the uh, the winter of discontent. Do you know what? If the last 13 years of Conservative government squash the shit out of anything that happened during one winter of discontent, okay? So whenever anyone meets you with that, you have plenty of ammo to hit them back. That's the, the winter of discontent should never even be mentioned again. Uh, all of it is, is is pretty shameful, but to what to what ends? Well, what do you think on that one, Dave? Before I put you out of your misery and jump into nostalgia, um, yeah, I, I just think it's all a it, it's all a joke. Um, and the fact of the matter that we've got the worst government doesn't matter what worst worst is. I think we've got the worst government and the worst opposition. All I would say to people is um, to front a, a neoliberal type leader. That's one thing to do it in the nineties. I think that's another thing to do it in the midst of... I mean, we're on our knees as a society. Mm. And neoliberalism from the 90s just does not cut it. Okay? It's gone and it's not coming back. And we need... If we got an extreme right, and you voted for an extreme right... I'm sorry, I'm I'm sorry if you're from... uh, And you have mixed-race children and things like that, which is the vast majority of us do and you voted for an extreme right, don't be offended. You did. And as John has said, don't come running to him. No. Right? Um, And that's what we got. We're in a mess. We're in a mess. And um, it's a joke. Um, It's become Apathy UK, and it's a joke. And we've got 13 million people that don't even vote. That means 13 million people don't agree with any political party. You've got a problem, Britain. John? Yeah, and don't be dismissing those folks as being apathetic or apolitical, uh, especially the young, because right now the young are substantially more political than the the runt that sits in the middle. Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to rump. I should say. I don't. I'm not doing any kind of ageism here, but at the same time, I, I will respond to things when I see them. 
and the kind of idea, you know, for years and years, young people were told they were apathetic. What they're actually is underpaid, uh, overstressed and underappreciated. And uh, far too many of the the kind of pseudo-liberal property-owning centre, who are the only ones who really don't want anything to change, uh, were far far too dismissive of, of young people and their purple hair and their avocado toast. Uh, when in actual fact, you know, they're, they're not the problem you are. And again, you know, it's kind of weird to talk about shame in this because to me to sort of say it's pointless, but it, it's like, what can you, in a situation like now, what can you do? Well, you know, if, on, and I mean literally in the situation, in what, what you're listening to right now, what I'm trying to broadcast right now, because you have far too many points and I have far too many conversations like this which kind of result in discussing these issues and then just all sort of coming to the point of going, well, it's shit, isn't it? And it's, it's like exactly that. You don't really, you don't feel like you really have anything to say. You know, if I was, <laughs> if I was funnier, you know, we could, we could like crack jokes about it. Uh, and there's some great, as I say, you want, you want that kind of stuff. You know, you listen to Chapo Trap House or Trash Future or people like that who, who are great at like, you know, taking apart a situation no matter how grim it is, but also, you know, taking the piss out of Elon Musk or whatever in, in really effective ways. And, and they, they keep me very entertained and, and sane, but, um, but I can't do that. So it kind of makes the whole thing even more pointless because you can't, it's not even like it's material for something that I could, you know, build a better life on perhaps myself and others. Um, not to be, you know, a uh, uh, mercenary about it, but, but anyway, um, We've just got under 15 minutes to go, so I suppose I better launch myself into that ever-present subject. I was going to play in the Minder soundtrack to this bit, but... <laughs> <laughs> you can. There are worse programmes. <laughs> and better ones. You got... You like a bit of all that ITV4 shit, don't you? I can just tell. Yeah, the professionals and Minder. And- uh, uh, yeah, so I, 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 I do a uh, series link Minder. Yeah, uh, because only because I like the cars. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, couldn't afford any of them then, and I certainly can't now, John. I've been. I was interested in looking back over. I thought about this the other day. Uh, no, I mean if, this is going back a, a year or more now. Um, who can tell with all the lockdowns? It was hard to. It was easy to lose track of time. But um, it suddenly reoccurred to me. You know, this program uh, prospects, which I hadn't seen since I was a little kid. Uh, apparently it only ran for one series. I remember it had a, it had a theme tune by Mungo Jerry and uh, Stephen Olsen, uh, no, excuse me, Gary Olsen, uh, dearly departed now, was 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 in it. And uh, there's a few episodes of that on YouTube. And I, as I'm not one for revisiting, but I'm kind of interested. It sort of came from kind of the same place as like Boys from the Black Stuff, that, that kind of programming. Um, and I thought, oh, you know, I might check that out again because that was about, you know, about the country where it was in the eighties, you know, with Thatcherism shitting all over the working class and making it impossible. And it's good that YouTube steps in and does a job where they, you know, where it's not possible to put things out on DVD in good quality, you know, good quality rend- uh, restorations with with loads of extras, such as the BBC's Ways of Seeing program or Mark Thomas's comedy products from Channel Four. Then it's good that people slap it up on YouTube, even if the, the resolution's a bit shit, it's good to be able to access that stuff. That's the kind, that's not nostalgia. That's learning from your past. That's a different thing. 
And uh, those two programs I mentioned there, Mark Thomas and, and John Berger's uh, truly colossal ways of seeing, I can't recommend enough. Anyway, with all of the nostalgia and the damage done is, is the title for this, this bit. With all of the intense situations facing us in the here and now, you might think we would focus on what can be done about the failing capitalist system and all the damage it is doing in these, as it spirals out of control, making us all poorer and substantially more vulnerable. But sure enough, the interests best represented by distracting us have found other ways to express their desire to keep us occupied with the irrelevant through modern technology. A recent article by Dan Hancocks in The Guardian, or Hancock, excuse me, uh, caught my attention as it detailed one of my least favourite cultural diseases, the one known as nostalgia. That empty public and personal pastime that cripples the lives of so many of us and has contributed so strongly to the moribund cultural state of Britain today. Hancocks delves into a Facebook page called Memory Lane UK that posts various photos of reminiscences specifically from people who were children in the 1970s, but among others, discovering what he calls, in his words, the strange case of the proper bin men. I'll let you look up the article and you can get a bit more detail on it. Um, at the time of writing, Hancock's notes that a particular post in regards uh, old old-fashioned bin men had attracted almost 7,000 likes, 3,000 shares, and 900 comments, plus inspired many imitations. Hancock's discusses the nature of this post and his, his words to quote, to their admirers, proper bin men embody a lost post-war idyll and the decline in national character can be seen in the appalling state of the modern day counterparts who are rotten in spirit, in character and in service, end quote. Just like to run the line that obviously that's not what we think of bin men on this show because they are some of the people that keep us from getting more diseases and rodents running through the streets. So thank you very much for your service. Aside from the horrible judgmental attitudes here that might be expected from the sort of people using a god-awful Facebook page like this, are there really people in the world who think rubbish was cleaner in the good old days? Bin men still work hard in conditions that are tough but necessary. Hancock's notes the page attracts phenomenal interest and enthusiasm from older Britons on Facebook. Actually, most people on Facebook are old now anyway. Where in his words, a whole constellation of meanings and memories are projected onto them. Pride, anger, resentment, wariness, NUI, and fond, at times very touching, personal recollection. I know I probably pronounced the word NUI wrong. I don't care. It's my show. There is, that is at least from the ones uh, who, who were there on the page. Then you have uh, the ones that make really no sense. Uh, in our day, you only had Lucozade when you were ill. Uh, okay. So no one should drink it unless they're unwell. Um, I mean, it does fuck all for you when you're sick anyway, so I'm not quite sure what your point is there. I know it's too expensive. I know that much. Uh, so I don't even know what that's trying to say, but hey, maybe some of you can help us. The, this paragraph stood out for me, actually, the following one. Hancock's writes on the site here, quote, there are no births, marriages, or deaths here on, on the Facebook page. No wars, no world historic events, no great men and women of history. There is no post asking who remembers the Cuban Missile Crisis or who remembers the sinking of the Belgrano. Those questions are too remote from ordinary life. Over here, we have the ab uh, we have abacuses and listen with mother to talk about. The banality is the point. This is a world where a picture of three butter knives can attract 1,300 comments of fond recollections and reflections. End of quote. Now, I started off here saying yet again how much I hate nostalgia, so I could be looking for things here to highlight my already existing hatred. Granted. 
But we come back to this so often for very good reason. Nostalgia is a tool for breaking the spirit and fostering a belief that not only is your life worse now, but there is no future you can work toward where you will be better off either in yourself or your community, or for that matter, even in your own family. Everything good has been done and nothing new or better can come next. And I sincerely believe that this mindset is deeply poisonous. Okay, this is the heart FM mindset. This is also related to semi-skim milk, but that's another argument altogether. This is just designed to make you shut down and shut off, spending all of your time online wishing you had your past back and, I don't know, maybe taking a tranquilizer or two in the evening. This is all the most basic return to childhood stuff. Something is lost and cannot be found, will not be found, no matter how hard you look, how much you want it. It is all gone and we can only move forward. And that is a a fact of life, whether anyone likes it or not. Nostalgia is not going to save you. The strange thing about nostalgia is the effect. While most people seem to be able to understand pleasure, in far more rational ways, right? From everything from going for a run to busting your nut. You can do these things with no loss of joy, despite knowing exactly how they work, mentally speaking, you know, knowing what parts of your brain that they actually uh, feed and, and give joy and pleasure to. You can understand how that works, but it does not take away from the basic act of being able to enjoy them. It's, it's still good. Knowing how they... Um, Yeah, as I say, how they produce pleasure. But for some reason, nostalgia completely envelopes people. Like a drug, you become only capable of existing within the realm it allows you to. It is not that I never experience any of these effects of nostalgia in very small doses, but I know what they are. I can identify the effects so it does not overcome me and it doesn't cripple me. And as again, I think, you know, I can say this for you, I think you're in the right, you know, watching an old program necessarily to kind of check out the cars or whatever is not the same as kind of wallowing in this with a tear in your eye. The present situation the country faces is affecting substantially more people than it might normally, not least because of the proletarianization of the country's economy. One aspect of this is a noticeable increase in trade union support, at least at a surface level. We should really be working on this and other aspects of creating unity in order to go forward and create a better land to live in. There is nothing for us in the past except to learn for the things we did wrong. By the way, just in closing on my point here, I just also recommend Dan Hancock's book on grime called Inner City Pressure, which is uh, really terrific and reminds us just how fucking awful the Blair years were. Anyway, Dave, that's my that's my bit. What do you what do you think? Defend the nostalgists. No, I mean I I, I can't really defend it for the reality of it because um, the reality of it was you know nostalgia probably where we are today uh, socially economically and every other way uh, politically set set up what we are today um so let's not go on about the good old days but all, all i'm saying was there's some great music some great hip-hop yep um some good um um non-sensitive c- comedy um lovely cars um gas guzzling cars big ugly things which my missus just thinks I'm mad because I love the old cars, especially the old Cortinas. Um, but also saying that 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 economic or and uh, those political decisions that were made, um, certainly in the early eighties, have set us up where we are today. I'm not blaming any political party; it was both sides or three sides. Um, it was just, mostly the Conservatives. Yeah, I'm going to be the middle on this one. <laughs> 
No, don't don't be so in the middle that you basically deny political. Facts. Well, no, it, 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 it benefited few. Yeah, it benefited indeed. very few, and future wise, it, it and and if I was a seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, or twenty five year old or thirty year old, I would I would lose sight of politics because if I left school in the early two thousands, um, I would be blaming people politically, saying, "Well, I'm." I'm I'm in debt after leaving the seat of my education. Um, and I want to blame someone. And if that's a political solution that you've made me like that, why the hell should I vote for anyone? John? Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, that comes back to where we started this evening. Yeah. I mean, why, why would you vote for any of these people? Make people, dem- you know, make them work for your vote. It's not something you give to a party because it's the same one your dad voted for and it's not something that you give to them because in the past they were exactly what you were looking for politically, but they're not now, you know, it's, and I understand that. And look, you know, do I, obviously I want to see the Tories absolutely destroyed and crucified. I don't want to see them beaten by Starmer's labor. I don't think they're fit for power. And more importantly, they won't be beaten because that man can't win anything because he's deeply unpopular. What you're finding is, is actually, it's, it's an incredible situation. We've thought this for a while and actually released data to prove it this week. That is, what you've got now is a battle of unpopularity. And the next government could be made up by the group of people that are not as unpopular as the other one. And again, you know, that's crisis stations. You know, that is... a. Again, I don't want to say the same thing over and over again because it becomes boring to hear, but that is what we're at. You know, the crisis in this country is a crisis of greed and the political crisis is a, a complete incapability of dealing with the situation, with the reality of what is facing you right now. And um, and I, I don't know what else to say about that. You know, we, that can't go on. It, it, is, it is completely inappropriate and people are suffering. No, even further, people are dying. You know, you, they, the Conservative Party managed in government managed to murder a shit ton of people during the COVID-19 pandemic, and they've got away with it. And now they're doing the same thing by underfunding our, our healthcare system, by not actually addressing it properly. And you can't allow that to go on, and you can't just retreat to a world of being wistful about a time, either A, when you were young, or B, a time before you were born. Because that's not going to help anyone. It's not going to solve anything. And really, it's nothing more than than shooting heroin into your arm. Really, it's it's basically the same thing. Yeah, because you're try you're trying to disconnect. And I understand that desire to disconnect. Believe me, more than most people who could tell you that who could be having this conversation. Right, I know. I know the desire to disconnect. I know the desire to get away from the rest of humanity. But you simply don't have that option either realistically in real life or when we're facing the horrors that we're facing right now, you need to get in the game and it's going to be tough and it's going to be ugly. And you're going to go up against very powerful opponents who are clinging on by their fingernails to the positions of power that they have occupied unfairly for a very long time. So they, they're they're going to get nasty, but you just get nastier. And you have all the, the people to, to, to help you, to support you. You know, we're, we're all part of a, a wider communities in taking this on, whatever your persuasion, whatever your position in life. But do not, you know, sink into the, the pathetic, you know, uh, 
oof, I, can't, I can't even think of the right word for it, of just like, oh, you know, there's there's been no good comedy since Blackadder or some bollocks, you know, which isn't even that funny anyway. So, you know, you just you need to get over that and, and move forward. And we are all the rage and more than happy to help you do so. Um, that's it, Dave. If you want to add anything, please, please feel free. Uh, no, John, thank you very much. And uh, we'll chat next week. Thanks, everybody. All the Rage with John Bowd. www.tracksfm.org